Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. My name is Lori Metz, and I created this podcast for those who are trying to conceive. I hope this episode helps you on your family building journey. Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility Experiences. I'm here today with somebody from ASRM, American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And we haven't really talked about that much, but it impacts everybody going through a fertility journey. And I am like honored to have Jesse Loesch here. Uh, Jesse, I'm not sure of your exact title. I'm so sorry. What's your title there? First of all, I'm honored too. This is great. Uh, my title is Government Affairs Manager. I can't even imagine or wrap my brain around being in charge of government affairs at American Society for Reproductive Medicine. So I really wanted to talk to you about it and maybe give people an overview of what this organization does, because I find with the people I work with, they've never heard of American Society of Reproductive Medicine, ASRM, until they enter the fertility world. And even then they need to be directed. I will be very honest with you and say that I had not, and I, as somebody who studied and worked in the reproductive health space. I had not heard of ASRM until I got this job. And now I can't believe I did before. Yeah, so it's such a huge organization and it is so powerful. And what I so admire about this organization is that its impact is rapid. So in other words, I don't know what other word to use because it's kind of escaping me, but when American Society for Reproductive Medicine goes to the AMA or goes to a conference and they say that they want something in place, their society puts it in place and then others kind of follow. And that's what's incredible about it. So I suppose it would be great if we started off just giving an overview a little bit about what ASRM is. Honestly, I'm a little under two years at this job and I'm still wrapping my head around the compartments and the pieces of it. But we essentially, we're a member-led organization. So our members are social workers, their mental health providers, the reproductive endocrinologists, their embryologists, their researchers, but all working in the world of fertility. And because of the climate in which we are, that necessitates straddling also the world of reproductive health advocacy. Because I think whether or not people saw it coming, you cannot be a provider or really a patient of reproductive health care, especially in America, without unfortunately having to advocate or have others advocate for your rights, whether that's privacy or access or unfortunately in a lot of spaces now legality. Right. Which is really frightening when you think it is very scary. It's a very scary place for our for our members and for their patients. It really is. And so it's so important because I always looked at ASRM when I first heard about it. It was like, wow, look at this. Look at everything that they offer. Because um, I'm part of the mental health arena, which makes sense because I'm a mental health provider. But they offer trainings. They offer policy. They offer legislation. And that's in every area. So it's it's in all the areas you mentioned, right? It's in mental health, which they have different types of certifications you can go for. They have it for the embryologists. They have it for the doctors. They have it for, I think, do they have it for the hospitals and the clinics as well? That's a great question. I know we do because we have 
We have it for nurses and specifically, or more generally, I guess, nurses who work in hospital systems. But I think that's also part of like the breadth of this organization. You know, we have, um, and it so cracks me up that we call them SIGs and PIGs. I think that is so funny. But we have these like, sort of wherever you are, there is something for you here, whether that is education or advocacy or both. Yeah. I mean, when I went to the conference last year, and it's so great because I got to meet you right before the conference at the, um, what was it, the, the stakeholders meeting? For and that was my first conference also. It was mine too, actually. Yeah. It blew me away, that conference. There were so many people and it was so great to meet you before the conference. So it was like a joy all the way around. But the impact that that conference had and the networking and the collaboration was huge. So to get a little bit more specific about it so that people really understand, and I had used this analogy, but you had said you're vegan, so maybe it's not a good analogy. No, make you laugh. You should do it again. <laughs> so I was saying, well, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Meaning, does the policy come first, or does the the um, kind of medical recommendation come first, and and the um, the algorithm or the policy that's being set up or the standard? And it depends. You had said, yeah, you know, we have really incredible experts on our practice committee, on our ethics committee on our mental health committee and you all set the standards that we then use when we get asked about bill you know i hopefully you're not hearing the ding 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 of my email but that is about a specific bill that you know we're getting requests from their office to provide language for and then we get to say our policy office is not just pulling this out of thin air this actually comes from you know the last practice committee guidelines on gamete donation or so in that case a lot of times because people do see us meaning all our SRM members as experts in the field we get to pull from that but sometimes you know we will have members or patients who see a need who have a relationship with a lawmaker who you know don't want other people to go through what they went through and so they will propose legislation. A lot of times that looks like, you know, fertility preservation or IVF mandates. And so we will work in these really important coalitions. I think that's one of the things that I love the most about my job is, is who I get to work with in this space to then, you know, work specifically for those changes, either in defense, you know, against certain legislation or proactively. Wow, that's great. I mean, it's a lot. It actually is because what you're saying is that the policy itself comes from so many different avenues, right? It either comes from these committees, and I think there's like nine different committees. There are a lot, and there are committees. Then there are there are committees, tasks for task forces, and working groups. Right. So there's so many. So yeah. yeah. So any group can have like an umbrella group, I'll, I'll use the mental health because that's the one I'm familiar with. So any group, like a mental health group could have a group and then within that group, they could have task force and committees working on a specific issue. And so let's say you're going through fertility treatment. So we know that there is medical information substantiating coverage for work. So you would go to the committee or go to the task force, ask them for maybe the mental health component. You would go to the physician committee, ask them for that component, go to the embryologist committee, ask them for that component, and so on and so on. And then bring that together to the legislation 
to see that the policy is substantiated with the medical information that's necessary. And even then, you know, it's not like policymakers, even if the one policymaker that you find is gung-ho and all about it, then you spend, we still have to, you know, meet with a potential co-sponsor. We have to meet with the rest of the members of the committees to make sure it passes, to make sure that it doesn't get watered down in a dangerous way. So there's a lot of, it's, and you know what, it's not even really behind the scenes because I think because our members and our patients are so proactive, it's more and more frontal, which I really appreciate. That's really nice because now somebody can come to you and say, listen, I think this should happen. And then you can figure out how to make it happen or if it's something that can happen. Yeah. Maybe somebody even just called their legislature and they said, listen, you should connect with ASRM about this policy. We're talking to them about it. I think my hope is that more people will see themselves as activists and advocates and know that it's not something that requires like extensive training or relationships or like something indefinable to contact your legislator or contact us and ask how to do something like it's hard but anybody can do it and should right and i think you have to be in that place to be ready to do it and it's important and what i have found is that some you know a lot of the advocates are people who are either in the fertility world professionally or who have gone through a fertility journey they don't necessarily start advocating while they're going through it. I do want to recognize that we have a number of really committed patient advocates who are currently going through either infertility, fertility preservation, or treatments. And the, I think the courage and vulnerability it takes to put yourself, to put your story out there when you don't have anything yet is so remarkable. I don't think it's for everybody because it is very emotional and very personal and tiring. But for those that, you know, are showing up to these meetings to explain why they have not gone on a vacation in 10 years because they have, a you know, another treatment next week, it is so powerful and and really hard. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I know I had said that I don't see that that often, but you do see it. And actually at Advocacy Day for Resolve just this past year, there was somebody in one of my groups who was going through fertility treatment and going through a transfer the next day, and it was her third transfer, I believe. I just want to say that, you know, for, I used to, before I had this job, I worked in the state office. I was a staffer. For advocates, it is very, for me too, it is very frustrating when something doesn't pass right away because you put your guts out there on a Zoom call and no one should have to do that. But you don't know especially when you're speaking to staffers, you don't know about the impression that you made. You don't know where that staffer is going to go next. You know, sometimes, yes, it takes a couple sessions, but your story one year could have affected, that could have been the catalyst because that staffer is going to go to their boss and their boss is going to tell someone on the floor or that staffer will leave that office and go work with someone else and say, you know what, like, I heard this one day and it was really powerful. So I know how easy it is and why to feel discouraged, but I think any time you get to tell your story, you're making a difference. Yeah, it's great insight. You know, it really is, and hopefully comforting for those who go through this, and I do believe that's true. Everything starts with one conversation. Yeah. So there's this incredible legislative arm that is, I think, making changes, and we see it make change. I mean, it's slow sometimes, but we do see it, right? 
And now I think we need it more than ever with what's going on in the government. So we need ASRM to be that voice for us. And, you know, the more we can join in and help, the better it is. On the other side, on the policy side, I think that's the piece, that patient portal that people can really like kind of sink their teeth into when they're looking for information. And I don't know, you know, if you could speak to that just a little bit so people can understand it. So hopefully I won't get fired for saying this. Our website has been not great, not very user-friendly. The patient portal, I'm going to say, is the same. But (laughs) either this week or next week, we have a new, finally, thanks to the incredible efforts of people in our Birmingham office and our Riley Rogers, our social media manager, is going to be revitalized. And a huge part of that is because that patient portal needs to be a lot more hands-on and user-friendly and like easy to use. I'm really excited about it. I am not a technological person. So if I think it's great, I feel like we're in good shape. But, you know, I think that's good. And it, it is cumbersome to use. There's no question about it. But once you get into it, there's a wealth of information. So that yeah, and we want to make that easier to find so you don't, you know, have to go through 19, I don't know, extra steps. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's even trying to figure out the keywords to put in to pull up what you need. But the information is there. It's invaluable in a way because when you think about all these committees now and all these experts putting their brains together to develop this information that is now standard protocol in almost every fertility clinic and every fertility doctor's office, that is how you're being treated. That is the treatment protocol that's being used. And so it comes out of ASRM. And it's constantly being updated based on, you know, our members' expertise and feedback that they get, feedback that they receive. So I think I love that it's not static and it's really based on patient need. And there's so much research behind it. Yeah. Because ASM does a lot of research. I, I believe. And like you said, there's fertility in Stuart. Like you can read it in a journal article for it. You could listen to a podcast. Well, we did a policy briefing the other day. So there, we're trying to create more modes of entry, I think, so that you know people are able to access that information in the way that is best for them. The more that people can find out that you're there, the better. Yeah. Yes, because you don't want to have to find out just when you get a job interview. That's not helpful. Right, right. And usually when you find out you're in crisis a little bit and you're like, where do I look? And so you do stumble on ASRM, but there's other places that are so vocal and they're out there on Instagram and Facebook and all these other mediums, but they're not necessarily research and scientific based. And so if you want to steer people to where the science is, you have to steer them to ASRM. I think that's such a good point. I think, you know, when people are already, as you said, in a, in a desperate place or in a place of, you know, a, sort of an emotional place, it should not be hard to find what you need. And I think social media, although, you know, doctors are using it for great things, that's not what rises to the top. You often get like accounts that sort of play into people's desperation or fear. Um, and as much as we're able to, we want to counteract that with clarity and science and and good medicine and also accessibility because you should again like you shouldn't have to have a doctorate in embryology or in social work to get the information that you deserve as a patient no you should and sometimes some of the other groups they're scared the information although we are very lucky that you know a 
preaching to the choir here. We work with Resolve, who's a really important patient advocacy group. I think our office is on calls with their their group, like more than we talk to our own family members sometimes, and they're terrific. So I think you know there there is a lot of sharing of information and bandwidth in this community. There really is, and there's a lot I think of people wanting to just be available to share the information. So yeah, ASM started a podcast. They have newsletters that they send out. They have the fertility and sterility, which is a lot to read, but certainly I know a lot of people that will sit there and read it when they're going through certain things with fertility and they just don't understand it. There's this quest for knowledge people have. Yeah. And when you couple that with policy, it's powerful. I love that. Hopefully the new website will reflect this, but we are also very available you know, our office, if anybody has questions about policy or legislation, you know, our cell phones are on the website, our emails are on the website. We would always want people to reach out. I think the education department's the same way. So we at AFRM definitely, if if we personally cannot get you the information, we will pass you to the person who can, but we want people to have access to us insofar as it helps. There's so much to talk about when it comes to ASRM. But I really did want to give an overview of the services that are offered and what's there. We put out all our, our action alerts on social media. We put out a new one about this terrible piece of legislation in North Carolina right now. Anybody could click on that and contact their legislators. So I think at whatever stage people are ready or willing to advocate. Right. And if there's a medical policy that's put out or some kind of standard that you don't agree with or you have a question to, I think you should definitely reach out about that as well. Yeah. Because, you, you know, you go to a doctor, most people, I think, um, and I, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this one, but most people do go to more than one opinion when it comes yeah. to, you know, sometimes they go to more than two opinions. And so when you see these articles and you see the research and everybody seems to read them or most people seem to read them, if you have questions, then you can reach out or you can ask your provider or, you know, repeat, reach out to ASRM, send an email and just ask them about it if there's a question. So I... They think that knowing that that availability is there, that that information is there, is essential for so many. And you're right. You know, I told you about a policy that was brought to my attention recently, a a new um, bill that's brought to the floor. And the bill was brought to the floor, but some of the people behind that are going to be the end users, the results of the bill, are concerned that the practicality of the bill is not going to work in, in the favor of, like, the population at large. And so they brought it to my attention. So what did I do? I contacted the the office that is putting out the bill. And they were very nice, actually, much nicer than I thought they would be, very receptive. And so now we're starting communication about what can change about the bill to make it more practical. So even though the essence of the bill was like this piece that we want to move forward with and we're so supportive of, the practicality of it isn't. And that is the majority of what happens. Like it's it's rarer, although louder, that bills are just dangerous or bad. We do fight all those, but it's oftentimes the bills that come from a really well-meaning place. But again, the people who are writing these bills are not medical providers. So they don't see where the potential pitfalls or the potential practicality of it would. And that's where we as experts get to go in and say, you know, actually, this is the data or you know, let's see if we could find a workaround that will do what you meant it to do, but actually have the effects that you meant it to have. 
No, it's true. And so this example of this, right, what we have to do is we have to call in the end user, which is the population that it's targeted to, to then say, wait, this isn't going to work. And then we have to call in the professional arena to say, we can't do what you're saying you need us to do. It's impossible to track. It's impossible to care for people in this matter. And then we want that assembly person to be able to say, you know, you're right. Our intention is to try and make things better. But if we can't make it better with the language this way, maybe we'll change the language in another way to achieve that. And sometimes maybe it's not, I mean, it sounds silly because I work in legislation, but like oftentimes legislation is like the sort of last resort. You know, you could do things in statute, you could do things in regulations, you could do things in rules. But by the, you know, when you legislate something, it's codified, it's final. And so that should sometimes be the last thing you think about if you can't do it in any other way. Right. That's interesting. I never thought of that. That's great. So really, ASRM is covering all the gamuts of reproductive <laughs> I will say something ridiculous and say that because of our software tracker, I sometimes get bills that are about turtle eggs and flower semen. So I could tell you that even marine biology, we somehow... Well, that's important too. It's all there. It's all important. Well, that's great. Well, we're lucky to have you. I'm so glad that you you, you took that job and found out what ASRM is. Me too. And I'm lucky to have you too. We are all, we're a team. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. So somebody wants to get a hold of the office, they can find the phone number or find an email on the website. They should be able to find both. And it's all under, I think it's, we're, we're still Office of Public Affairs. Okay. And all of our names and numbers and email addresses. And when they would go to the Office of Public Affairs, they wouldn't go to contact us. Well, if somebody wants to get a hold of the Office of Public Affairs, go to Public Affairs. And, you public affairs. and it's also our first initial last name at ASRM.org. Is basically anybody in the building. Thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it so much. No, I think this is great. I think it sheds a light on what ASRM is. And if anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at laurimets.net.